I love the talking guy show. I hear two guys talking. 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 Two guys talking I hear. I hear two guys talking. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammers. Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Mays. Hi, everyone. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host here at ScammerCast.com. This is Marty Gurley, your co-host at ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mains, your third co-host at ScammerCast.com. We are delighted to have you with us today, and we have an exciting episode for you. Uh, Art, we absolutely do. Uh, we are pleased to have Mark Goodman with us today. He is the author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Future Crimes, and I think the subtitle tells it all. Everything's connected. Everyone's vulnerable. Here's what you can do about it. Mark is a global security advisor and futurist. He's consulted with the FBI and Interpol and has a long career in law enforcement. Uh, welcome, Mark. Thanks, guys. It's my pleasure to be with you. As I, as I sort of introduced you, uh, I indicated that you have a background in, in law enforcement. And would you give our audience just a, a background of your career in law enforcement and kind of what has led you to where you are today? As a kid, I always wanted to be a cop. I think a lot of boys and girls have that idea. And most of the sensible ones grow out of it. And the rest <laughs> of us go into it as a career. And it's actually been an awesome ride. Uh, I joined the police force in the late 80s, early 90s, when crime was through the roof. And it was a great way to help protect and serve your community. I worked as a street police officer, an investigator, uh, and eventually found myself working cases on cybercrime, uh, initially with the Los Angeles Police Department, where I served for many years. And then I went on to work with Interpol for a decade, chasing around international cybercriminals and others, and worked with the U.S. Secret Service on an electronic crimes task force, and eventually served as the futurist in residence with with the FBI, and I continue to advise law enforcement agencies around the world from Scotland Yard to New York City. So, Mark, what is a futurist in residence? Well, it is a program that is run by the FBI, and what they try to do is reach out to citizens from the community who can help them think about next-generation crime and terrorism. Normally, these are other law enforcement officers that serve in different agencies. Occasionally, they're military officers, and it is a two-year appointment, and you work with the Bureau to help them think about next-generation crime and terrorism threats and what those future threats will look like. Very interesting. And so... How do you proceed with that work? I mean, is it something that turns into publications, or is it, uh, it does, an internal report, fact, or what? So, yeah, everybody takes on a particular project that they work on that can be of relevance to the Bureau. And obviously, you can't go into great detail about the work, but sure. it's meant to be useful. I started that type of work many years before with Interpol and even when I was a street cop. What became clear to me is the fact that the bad guys were out innovating the good guys, particularly through their use of technology. And so that's what I chose to focus on. You know, I saw criminals using mobile phones and pagers long before any police officer had them. And of course, they joined the internet before most police officers were online, and they continue to race ahead today. You've often commented that organized law enforcement is just being outmaneuvered and out-innovated by the bad guys, particularly when it comes to uh, cybercrime and cybersecurity. Yeah, that's absolutely true. One of my quotes that I put in the book Future Crimes was from Woody Allen. He said, organized crime you know, earns $40 billion a year in the United States and spends very little on office supplies. <laughs> I think that kind of, you know, uh, says it in a nutshell, right? They don't have to worry about approvals, bosses, bureaucracy, laws, public policy, taxes, any of that stuff. They're free to completely innovate as they see fit, whereas any large law enforcement organization not has to follow the law of the land, but also all the internal bureaucracies as well. That's a message that I try to get out to seniors when I do presentations around the Midwest and around the country, that the scammers are always evolving in their ability to rip people off. 
especially it seems unsuspecting elders and the people around them. So it's ever more critical, I think, for people like you to be talking about what we need to do to keep people safe, especially seniors. And that, of course, is a major focus for us here at ScammerCast. So what would you say is a, the major threat facing seniors today? What do you think that is? Well, I would say to some extent, seniors face the same threats as everybody else online. In other words, Criminals are looking to go after anybody that may be able to get money for them. So if a criminal can rip off a 4-year-old or a 40- or 80-year-old, they're happy to do it. Now, there are some particular challenges with the elder communities out there. First of all, they're not digital natives. So if you look at you know a 15-year-old kid or even a 25-year-old kid today, they grew up in the age of the Internet, the so-called digital natives. They are very comfortable in that world. They understand that world. They've never grown up, many of them, with without a smartphone in their hand. Some of the older generation may not have even had a landline telephone in their houses or apartments, and if they did, it was a party line, right? So to go from those old landlines to the concept of a mobile phone to even having a smartphone or their computers or their laptops, all of those tools are new to them. So they're not digital natives, they're digital immigrants. They've had to learn about that. And, you know, there's often can be a somewhat steep learning curve. That said, 60% of those over 65 are using the internet one way or the other. They're using it to communicate with their family, to do online shopping, and half of them are researching various types of health information online. And so they depend on the internet as a lifeline often to the outside world, particularly for those who, you know, live alone and are isolated. The challenge with that is, is that bad guys know that if an older person is lonely or, you know, doesn't have a lot of other people around, them, then they can become a very good target where scammers reach out to them, know how to manipulate them online or in person. I will say that still the most common way that seniors are manipulated and scammed online is via phone calls. There often today is some connection to the internet, but a lot of the scams are still coming in over the phone. That would be people trying um, to pretend that they are from a government agency, most commonly the IRS. They'll pretend to be from Microsoft and try to get elders to share information about their bank uh, information, their account, and all of that stuff. So just one piece of very, very simple advice for anybody who's listening to this call, particularly your elder listeners, is any inbound call to your home from a stranger, don't trust, period, full stop. Many people will have caller ID on their phones, and it will say right on the caller ID, IRS, you know, Internal Revenue Service, or Bank of America, or it could even say Microsoft Technical Support. But all of that information that you see on your caller ID box can be completely scammed and made up, and that's exactly what criminals do. So if somebody calls up from Bank of America and asks for account information, if they try to give you a brand-new offer to lower your mortgage rate or they claim that they're from the IRS and that you owe money to them, try to get their name say thank you very much and then hang up then you yourself should either walk into the Bank of America branch or call the known Bank of America phone number or Wells Fargo number or IRS number whatever it may be but any transaction that arrives to you over the telephone reject automatically and the same is true online and I'm happy to explain how to do that as well if you'd like Indeed, that's a, that's a great piece of advice. In fact, uh, our mantra here is always do the choosing, never be the chosen one. And that's a perfect example when, when these spoofed phone calls come in of allowing yourself to be the chosen rather than doing the choosing. I think you give some wonderful advice on how to avoid that in, in the context of a phone call. And so what would your advice be on how to be in a, in a good position online when you receive that unsolicited contact? First, I would say it's actually the very same rule. This applies not just for uh, elderly people, senior citizens, but for anybody. The most common way that cyber criminals get at their victims is through a bad link or a bad download, and I'll explain what I mean by that. There's a particular type of scam known as a phishing scam, except they spell the word phishing with a PH, and that's kind of hacker talk. And what that means is you will get in your inbox an email from Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank, IRS, you know, your local municipality, it doesn't matter. And they will say something like, 
oh, there's a problem with your account. Click here to fix it. Or they will say, you need to update your address. Click here to do that. You should apply the same exact logic that you do on the phone because just as easily as caller ID can be spoofed, so can any inbound email. So if you look at the email address, it may say at irs.gov, but that is easily faked. And if somebody has technical expertise, you can go into that background and look at the email and see that it's been spoofed. But to the average person, it looks quite legitimate. Don't click on links from strangers, number one, and even be really suspicious about clicking links from people you know because it's easy to fake somebody that you know. So the same applies to downloads. If somebody sends you an email with a particularly enticing headline like, oh my God, you won't believe these photographs, or see the incredible way seniors can save 50% on their mortgage, you know, click here to open or to follow the link, don't do it. Don't click on links. That is the most common way. Those types of phishing attacks are the most common types of ways that computers get infected. The criminals have become uh, better at their uh, phishing attempts as well, haven't they? It used to be you would receive an email and there'd be obvious grammar problems and it, it even just looked scammy and cheesy. I just received an email yesterday from uh, my credit card company uh, and the title was uh, Fraud Alert. For an unsuspecting senior who's not very savvy on, on the internet or with email, that looks very convincing, right? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. and you're right. They've gotten much better in terms of the graphics. It looks good. The big tip-off in the old days was the the grammar, as you said. You know, they were written by mostly Eastern European cyber criminals, Russians, uh, Ukrainians, Romanians, and the like. And they their language was not very good. Now that language is extremely precise, and they are indeed very very convincing. You know what I have what I've seen, Mark. Um, I work in the financial services industry, and I have a lot of older clients and. Typically, my older clients, over 65, they still want paper statements and everything. They don't want to log into their account online, and they try not to handle a lot of their financial information and everything online. But I think they've kind of been lulled into a false sense of security by receiving the paper things, thinking they're protected, where otherwise they may not be. Isn't that correct? Well, it turns out that there's pluses and minuses of both. So say, for example, that you receive all your paper statements as you like uh, for your credit card and other such things, but you happen to have used your credit card at a store like Target. Target stores your credit card information. They store your name, all the expiration dates and secret codes on the back of the card. You're entrusting that every time you go to a restaurant or a store in the real world and buy something. Now, your your listeners may be aware of that about a year and a half ago. Last Christmas, Target suffered a major hack. And in that attack, over 100 million accounts were compromised. And that means that one... Mine yeah. as well. Mine as well. Most, well, mm-hmm. one third of America, one third of America became a victim of a crime. And I guess that's the amazing thing about technology is that it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And the fact of the matter is, as I said in the subtitle of my book, when everything is connected, everyone is vulnerable. You may not be receiving or you may not be doing online shopping but even if you do shopping in the real world with a company like target or any bank i mean any store you go into today is processing all of those transactions electronically so you can still find challenges there now specifically with online banking and online statements there are many many credit card companies and financial institutions that encourage their customers to do online banking and there's lots of reasons for it and many of them are very convenient convenient. And they'll ask you to turn off your paper statements. And they'll say, legitimately, it's good for the environment. It's not just good for the environment, it's good for their bottom line, too, right? right? It costs them a lot of money to print out and send those statements. I encourage people to, assuming that you've got a safe mailbox, and you don't have to worry about people breaking into your mailbox in your neighborhood and stealing your paper statements, I tell people to continue to receive them for the following reason. There's actually a particular malware or computer virus out there that can change your bank statements, the online ones on the fly. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. If If the criminals have gone ahead and hacked your account, they know that they took out $3,415. And so when you go to log into your account, 
and your computer's already been infected, so they can watch what you do. When you log in, they're going to put back in that $3,415 on the screen only. So what you're seeing is false information presented to you and customized. And criminals are not doing this manually. It's all part of the criminal's computer programming. It's all done in the background. And they can do the same thing with your PDF statements, too. So therefore, it's always, I believe, a good safety mechanism to get those real-world statements because if you log into your bank account or think you're logging in, the criminals can actually show you a false balance, which gives them more time to steal your money and get it away. That is mind-blowing, Mark. What a story. Yes. uh, Once again, uh, we're visiting with Mark Goodman, whose uh, best-selling book uh, entitled Future Crimes Everything's connected. Everyone's vulnerable. Here's what you can do about it. Uh, Mark, I have to tell you, when I read the book, and I zoomed through it in a weekend, at the end of the book, I was both wowed, flabbergasted, scared, excited, optimistic. Uh, I mean, I just can't tell you the range of emotions that I felt reading the book, and I encourage everybody in our audience to find a copy of this book and buy it. What led you to write the book? The concept for future crimes had been in my head for a really long time. And what I realized is when I became a police officer, my goal was to be as helpful as I could to my community. I actually took that protect and serve motto and oath quite seriously. And what I realized is the bad guys were out innovating the good guys. And so as a cop, you could only put handcuffs on so many bad guys (laughs) a day. And I needed to find a way for my message to scale. And I started to do that through public speaking and then more more writing through magazine articles, and eventually I just had so much information from the cases that I had investigated over the years from the vast amounts of criminal innovation that I had seen. I felt the best way that I could be of service to the public was to share this information with them and let them know the scams, right? You know, public safety is too important to leave to the professionals, I've often said. In other words, we need to get everybody involved in this. Police officers are people who make their full-time job, you know, fighting crime and protecting others, but we also have to protect ourselves. And people know how to do that in real space, right? Regardless of whether or not you're 80 or 30 or 15, right? You're told when you go and leave your house in the morning to go to work or to the shopping mall, you lock your front door in in most communities uh, these days. Uh, When you drive somewhere, you don't leave your keys in your car. You don't leave the windows down and money on the dashboard for people to come and steal. So we know how to protect ourselves in the real world. We know what the dark alleys look like, if you will. But people don't know what that looks like in cyberspace. And so by sharing my research of the hundreds of cases uh, that I put in the book, people could see how the criminals think. And my goal wasn't to frighten, it was to educate. I wanted the information to be empowering so that uh, citizens, whether they be senior citizens or younger citizens, have the tools that they need to be protected and to protect themselves. This is right in line with our mission here at ScammerCast. And, and I got to tell you, I loved your metaphor in your book about parking your car in a dark alley and leaving $100 bills on the dashboard. <laughs> yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like, you know, in the cyber world now. So thanks for that. I may use that in presentations if that's okay with you. Sure, go ahead. Okay, thanks. (laughs) You know, Mark, there was one story in particular in the book uh, I'd like you to share with the audience, if you would, and it was about a gentleman uh, named Mr. Honan, H-O-N-A-N. Oh, yes, Matt Honan. Yes, uh, and a hacker accessed his uh, iCloud account, and uh, I wondered if you would share the the rest of the story uh, with our audience. Yeah, for sure. So that's how I started off future crimes by telling Matt Honan's story. Matt was a reporter at Wired Magazine. Wired Magazine is a very technologically focused magazine. In fact, it's the premier technology magazine, uh, you know, uh, of note in Silicon Valley and around the world. And Matt Honan was a reporter there. And one day he was sitting in his home playing with his two-year-old daughter, and he noticed his iPhone turned off. It powered down. He thought, oh, that's odd. Well, I wonder what happened. He tried to boot it back up and turn it back on. And when he did, all of a sudden he noticed rather than seeing his home screen of all his usual icons and pictures, instead he saw the big white apple and it said, you know, do you wish to register this phone? Welcome new customer. He's like, oh, that's weird. So then he went to his iPad thinking, well, he would just use that. And then that wasn't working. And then he went to his home computer and that wasn't working. And what 
happened was, as you mentioned, a hacker had broken into his iCloud uh, network and through several of his other accounts, including Amazon and the like, and slowly but surely they erased his digital life. They erased eight years of Gmail messages that he had stored. They erased photographs, most importantly, of his brand new first child, his infant daughter, from the moment she popped out of the womb until her two-year-old birthday. And they also erased family photographs, including those of relatives that had long since passed. So Matt lost all of this information, and the hacker did it because he wanted to take over Matt Honan's Twitter account. He liked his Twitter handle, at Matt, and that was the motivation. So when we put all of this information, you know, there is some value in keeping those photographs in old uh, photo albums. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. Oh, my gosh. But the point of Matt is that, you know, and what happened to him could happen to anybody. That's why in my book I created something called the Update Protocol, right? It's six easy, relatively easy steps that people can follow to go ahead and help them protect themselves online. There is good news out there. I know this tech can be very, very intimidating to some, but I try to explain the equivalent of how to lock your front door and take the keys out of your car when you leave it behind on the Internet age. So I've come up with Internet equivalents for that. I call it the UPDATE protocol, U-P-D-A-T-E, and there each one of those letters stands for a tip that folks can follow. And the good news is the UPDATE protocol is based upon research done by the Australian Ministry of Defense, and they studied tens of thousands of cyber attacks. And what they found out is that if you took these six simple steps, you could reduce your cyber risk by 85%, which is massive, right? That's impressive. There's no such thing as perfect security, right? People, even if you have an alarm on your house and you've got, you know, bars or whatever, you know, soldiers could still break down your door. So there's no such thing as perfect security, but you can make yourself much more safe, and the update protocol will do just that for you. Before we get into the update protocol, this, I think, would be a good time for us to take a short break. We want to encourage uh, all of our listeners to interact with us at ScammerCast.com. Share your experiences with us. Have you been a victim of a cybercrime or a phishing attempt? After the break, we're going to talk to Mark uh, extensively about the update protocol and break down each element, so please stay tuned. It's time to take a break during this episode of the ScammerCast. Have you liked our effort on Facebook? Visit the link via our website at scammercast.com and be sure to share any of our informative articles with your friends and family. It's all about education and protecting our seniors. We'll be right back. A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you're alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The Discipline to Grow the strength of experience, the ability to adapt. Values that endure. Midwest Trust. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing the Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com. See what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box. Voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. The movies have taken generations young and old by storm. Toy Story, starring Tom Hanks and a voice cast that just will not quit, are ready to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking. 
Be sure to join me, Mike Wilkerson, and an array of guest hosts as we review each and every one of the beloved Toy Story franchise. One, two, and the most recent three. Only from Two Guys Talking. It may be that baseball is just for kids. And you know what? You'd have a country full of people ready to go to battle with you. It's America's pastime. There's a lot more to baseball than balls and strikes. Check out great baseball movie reviews, the ins and outs of the game, and juicy, rare baseball history tidbits over at TwoGuysTalkingBaseball.com. Tell us about your thoughts, perspectives, and share the action of the cinematic charge. That two guys talking baseball.com. That's two guys talking baseball.com. Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. Let's dig back in with your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Mains. Welcome back to ScammerCast.com. We're visiting today with Mark Goodman, a global security expert and futurist. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host here at ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mange, your other co-host at ScammerCast.com. And Mark is the author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Future Crimes, Everything's Connected, Everyone's Vulnerable, and Here's What We Can Do About It. And this is Marty Gurley, your third co-host at ScammerCast.com. And Mark, you've given us a lot of good information. And I think a lot of people, when they talk about cyber crimes, they're thinking about the monetary and the financial repercussions that may happen. But with social media being so big these days, a lot of seniors actually have accounts with Facebook or Twitter, maybe, or maybe even Instagram. You know, I had an experience with my mother. She lives out of state and we have a Facebook account. We share pictures and things between each other. And all of a sudden, I got an invitation to be friends with my mom again on Facebook. So somebody had gone in and hacked her account, and she's asking me, how did this happen? Why did it happen to me, and what do I do about it? Have you seen any of those type of situations as well? Well, you're absolutely right. Many, many seniors are going on social networks, and the most obvious popular one is Facebook, right? A few years ago, I think the statistic was the fastest growing group demographic of Facebook users were women over the age of 50. So, and it's for the obvious reasons, right? Uh, grandparents want to see their grandkids. They they're live in different cities and different countries, and it's a great way to connect. You can, you know, chat with them. Uh, you can use, you know, things like Skype for, for video interactions and all the photographs and, you know, diplomas of the kids. It's all great to see the recitals online, so it's all awesome. Um, but there is a bit of a downside to that, which is that it is an other way that people are letting outsiders into their home and into their lives. So if you wanted to share pictures of the grandkids, you know, 20 years ago, you would show up with a photo album at grandma's house or you would send her some pictures in the mail. Now, obviously, those are all being posted online. Billions of photographs every day are going online. And most of the people that are sharing information on Facebook think that they're sharing it um, just with their friends and family. But as it turns out, first of all, they're sharing all of that data with Facebook. And Facebook's real business model is to sell that data any way they can. I speak before audiences all over the world, and I ask them, hey, raise your hand if you're a Facebook customer, and everybody's hand goes up. And I have to correct them. I say, sorry, guys, you're not Facebook's customer. You are Facebook's product, right? You are the thing that Facebook sells to their real customers, which is advertisers. So every time you put in your name, your address, your birth date, in some cases are people foolishly put their social security numbers in their Facebook profiles. When you talk about who your friends and family are, your interests, your likes, you know, I like fly fishing and I like uh, horseback riding, whatever it may be, all of that data gets categorized and sold off to advertisers who use it to target you with increasing precision. In addition to that, there are criminals on Facebook and they pay attention. So if you go out there and are saying, I can't wait until my vacation to Boca Raton, Florida next week, or our, our honeymoon trip to Hawaii, you think you're just sharing that with a few friends, but people pay attention. There was a fascinating study done uh, in the UK, and they said 70% of burglars under the age of 70 were checking social media sites before they picked a house to burglarize. 
meaning that they're looking to see who's going to be away. So in the old days, the big giveaways were, you know, the porch light was not on at night and there were newspapers piled up on the front doorstep. Now people are looking, criminals are looking to see what people say on social media. So there's no reason to post your vacation plans in advance of your trip and let people know that you're going to be away from home, right? Bad guys are paying attention. So you can post the pictures when you get home. But I will say, specifically for senior citizens, there are actually specialized scams that they face uh, uh, out there, and we're seeing more and more of that. One of the most common ones that we're seeing is the so-called grandparent scam that's popping up all over the place. And what that looks like is people calling up on the telephone, usually, again, a senior citizen, and claiming that their grandchild or another relative is in trouble. So, for example, it's not just your network that they're monitoring, but if your grandson, Billy, or your granddaughter, Jane, posts on Facebook that they're taking a trip somewhere, then you won't be surprised that criminals are paying attention. So here's how it goes. A con artist will analyze your social network looking for elderly relatives, usually grandparents, and they'll reach out and find the phone numbers for those grandparents, and they'll tell them that there's been an unfortunate accident. Hello, Grandma, we have some terrible news. Your grandson, Peter, was involved in an accident in Barbados, and you know that your grandson actually is in Barbados, and they know that your grandson is in Barbados because it's been booked, and they will try to go ahead and reach out to you when Billy or Bobby is still on the airplane or shortly after they landed. And when your kids or grandkids are overseas, they may not have access to their cell phones. You can't get in touch with them. And they say something like this, your grandson's been in a terrible accident and the hospital in Barbados is refusing to accept his American insurance and won't treat him unless we get $10,000 for surgery. So please, Grandma, send the $10,000 for Billy's surgery or he may die. He may not make it. And then if you don't pay right away, they'll call you back and say, oh, he just lost two more liters of blood. So, you know, he's going into a coma. Send the money immediately. And hundreds, if not thousands of victims have been defrauded by this scam. And millions of dollars have been sent via Western Union and MoneyGram as a result of this so-called grandparent social media scam. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, well, there's a story just about a year ago here in St. Louis of a lady uh, in the St. Louis suburb that was taken by that very scam for about $250,000. It was virtually her entire retirement account. But the thing that uh, that I, I know is even more interesting is how that scam has evolved. Because just a couple of years ago, the, the, the scam, the, the form it would take is that phone call would come in and the voice on the other end would say, Grandma, and, and then Grandma might say, Billy, is that you? Yes, it's Billy. But now, right. uh, but now the scammers don't even have to do that. They already have Billy's name, right? Yes, That's exactly. Amazing. Wow. Exactly. That's amazing. They will do that. By the way, I'll also point out just one other scam that uh, elder Americans should be aware of, which is dating scams, believe it or not. You know, many uh, older people are now online, and some are divorced, and some are widowers, and some are gay and lesbian, right? The demographics of our senior citizens are changing, and that many elder people are going towards dating sites, and that's another common place where people are being scammed because they're actually specific dating sites for elderly people as well or those over 50 you know at whatever age uh, they are so i would say just be aware of that don't send money to people you know somebody who pretends to be your true love that you meet online on an elder dating site you know don't start sending them money for plane tickets yeah. to come meet you in st louis <laughs> good idea right. yeah those are some of the dead giveaways aren't they mark when they start asking for money or plane tickets and that sort of thing start telling you some sort of sob story right Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Why do you want to date somebody with a sob story? Yeah. Somebody who can tell you a good story. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole podcast episode in right, and of itself. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> good question to ask yourself. Why am I dating someone with a sob story? That's good. That's good. Mark, uh, where can uh, folks find your book? It's available in local bookstores. Your local independent bookshop should have it. It's at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million and other stores. They had it at Costco. And the easiest place probably to get it is online. You can get it in the Apple iBook store or on Amazon. So any one of those places, you can get the book on, on Amazon. Um, you know, they have a couple different versions. You can get a Kindle version. You can get it as an audio book if you choose to listen to it. Or you can get uh, just the hardback book as well. 
once again, we encourage everybody out there, get a copy of this book. I mean, no joke, it literally is one of the most important books you will read this year. I can't agree more, and it covers far more than just cybersecurity and scams of that sort. Uh, we don't even have time to go into some of the other things that Mark talks about in this book, but let me tell you, it will open your eyes in a big way. Yes, it will. Now, Mark, uh, before the break, you had just uh, mentioned your update protocol, and you talk about this in the book. I'm wondering if we could go through the update protocol and, and give people out there those practical tips on how they can protect themselves. Yeah, it would be my pleasure to do so. First, I'll tell you right off the bat that if you go to futurecrimes.com, that's futurecrimes, plural, dot com, and just click on tips, T-I-P-S, you can find a very lovely infographic that explains the update protocol. So if I go a bit too fast for folks, they can find the information on the website. And also at the end of the Future Crimes book, I have an expanded version of it where I give even more tips. But the update protocol, as I mentioned, every letter stands for a tip. So let's go through them. U is for update. It means update frequently. You may have seen on your computers, it's time to update your software, or the same may be true on your phone. Uh, you know, pay attention to those because modern software is filled with bugs and vulnerabilities, and the manufacturers are constantly putting out updates. So make sure, for example, that you have your Microsoft Windows set to automatically update. And if you don't know how to do that, ask your children or grandchildren, the neighbor boy or girl, or even walk into a library. They may be able to help you with that type of stuff. So update frequently because what you're doing is you're fixing all the known bugs and vulnerabilities in your computer systems. The P in the update protocol stands for passwords, and passwords are terrible. <laughs> it's time for the password to <laughs> yeah. die. We all hate them. You know, they have to be 5,000 digits long, uppercase, lowercase, and we can't remember them. So instead, most people just create a simple password that they use across all their sites. And I'm sure it won't surprise you guys on the ScammerCast, but today, even still, the most common password is password. Okay? That's what I read. That yeah. is not a good idea. So you <laughs> should create a really long password um, and use a different password for every site. Why should you use a different password for every site? You know, we talked about that Target hack earlier. Let's say that you had bought something, you had purchased something from Target online. If the bad guys got your password for your Target account and used the same password and login, they could now get into your Facebook account. And what the bad guys do is they will take that Target credential and they'll try it on Facebook and LinkedIn and Bank of America and Wells Fargo and socialsecurity.gov, they will use those credentials across a multitude of sites and see if they can break in. So if you have the same password for every site, they get into every site. So by using a different one, if your target account gets hacked, you don't have to worry about somebody taking over your bank account. There are also simple tools out there known as password managers. These are little software programs that can generate for you on the fly passwords that are 25 characters and they're really hard to crack and they're uppercase, lowercase. And with these password managers, you set one master password, which can long and I would say write it down on a piece of paper and keep it in a safe and keep it in a safe place and have some backups. But you have one very long password. Uh, it could be a phrase, you know, like Mary had a little lamb and your date of birth or something like that, but make sure it's extra long. And then you can use that to log into all the other services. So I recommend that as well. I should say, by the way, for those password managers, there are four companies that I recommend or, or at least think are good places to start. One is called 1Password, another one is LastPass, then there's KeePass, and then there's Dashlane. And all of this is on the website. But the reason why I mention those, site, those companies specifically, I have no affiliation with any of them, but criminals have gotten really sneaky, and they've created their own password managers. And as soon as you put your password into a criminal password manager, which will sound something like, you know, best USA password manager number one. Right. <laughs> and right. tens of thousands of people do it, and when they type in their passwords, they go off to organized crime. Right. So go with a known company. Uh, before we leave passwords, um, sure. what's your recommendation about two-step authentication? That is another great point. So there's something called two-step authentication or two-factor authentication, which can be very, very useful, and it is recommended in the update protocol. What I say there is if you have a mobile phone, like a mobile smartphone or even a dumb phone, it will work, one of the older mobile phones. 
when you go to log into an account at Facebook, Dropbox, LinkedIn, PayPal, any of those sites, those companies can send you a one-time password via text on your mobile phone. So let's say that you already have a password manager, you have a really hard password to get into your Facebook account or in particular to your bank account. You can make that even one step safer by signing up for these two-factor authentication services. Just go to facebook.com or others and they'll explain how to do it. And then if somebody tries to log into your account with stolen credentials like we saw with Target, unless they have that second factor, that very special one-time password that you receive as a text message on your phone, they won't be able to get into your account. So unless they have physical access to your phone, so if they're in Russia, and even if they have your account name and your password, they won't be able to get in without that second authentication factor, which only is good for a minute or two, and then it goes away. So it's a really good safety tip. Now, what about the security and, and vulnerability of those password manager companies like you were talking about, like OnePass and all of those? Yep. Uh, what I would say is you always have to be careful and you always have to be suspicious. But on balance, you know, I can't say that they will never be hacked, right, because anything can be hacked. But on balance, it is a better decision than using the same password for all of your websites or using password as your password. Got it. Okay, I think we're ready to move on to the D in your update protocol. D is for download. It feels like an episode of Sesame Street here. D is for download. <laughs> C is for cookie. Right, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> Download. So the trick here is watch what you download. And we already talked about this before. These are those links that you get in your email or, you know, uh, that, that tell you, oh, click here or download this. Be highly skeptical of people that send you those types of things. And pay particular attention to the apps that you download. This is a lot easier to do if you have an iPhone than it is on the Android world. But in the iPhone, right, uh, you can use more specificity as to what each app is allowed to do with an Android app they get to do anything they want in other words once you download something you give that app permission to do lots of things well what type of things well like you might be sharing your location or your context or uh, you know all the other people in your address book so you need to be aware of that and I use always the flashlight test uh, there was an app out there called Best Flashlight. It was downloaded over 10 million times. And like most free flashlight apps, they're free for a reason. Uh, and they would ask you questions if you downloaded these. They would take uh, your constant location and track you, and they would take your address book. And, you know, if you use these tools on the iPhone, it will say something like, Best Flashlight app needs to know your location. It needs your contacts. Like, if your flashlight app needs to know who's in your address book, that's, <laughs> that's a big a clue. That's and if your flashlight app is asking you for your location, there's only one answer it needs to know. I'm in the dark. That's why I need a flashlight, right? Beyond that, it's none of its business. So use those clues and, you know, and use your smarts to be aware of that stuff. Great. Next letter is A, and that stands for admin. Now, this is a little bit technical, but if your listeners will bear with me, I think we can take them through it. Every computer that you know, you buy, whether it be a Windows machine or an Apple machine, they will have a log on screen where you have to create a user account. So most people have one user account on their computers. If you're a family, you may have three or four or five different user accounts. When you create that very first user account, it is given what is called in the computer industry administrative privileges. That means it has the privilege of the highest order, that of a systems administrator. And that needs to be the case because those permissions allow you to make changes to your software, to update things, to install things. It is a very high degree of permissions if you have that one single account. The problem is if you are logged in as administrator, you can change any file on your computer, including really important system files. That's how cyber crooks get into your system. If you're logged on and is an administrator and you get a virus, then the virus has all the permission it needs to change your underlying files to hack you. But 
there is an other type of account, and that's called a standard user account. If you are logged in as a standard user and don't have administrative privileges, when the virus tries to execute or run and infect your computer, if you're not logged in as administrator, it can't make the underlying system changes usually. Therefore, I recommend that you if you have an account uh, you know, on your computer and use it day in and day out, that you don't use your administrator account. There are settings both in Windows and in the Mac that can have you create a separate user account. So you should do all of your daily surfing, banking, shopping, all of that stuff under a user account because if that part gets infected, you'll be much better protected. And by the way, you get great warning. So if you click on a link that you think is from your daughter or your son or you accidentally click on an infected PDF, if you're surfing the net as a user in a user account and the PDF says, please enter your administrative password to open this document, then that's a big clue. Somebody's trying to steal your credentials. That's good advice. And if those people are on, you know, anybody that's on a Mac, if you walk into an Apple store, they can teach you how to do this. And I'm sure there are YouTube videos out there sure. on how to do it on a Windows sure. machine. Now, the T uh, is not quite so technical, right? No, this one's much easier. <laughs> T stands for turn off. Most people keep their computers running 24 hours a day. And the more time you're connected to the Internet, that's more time that the hackers can hack at you. I know it's a bit inconvenient to turn the computer on and off, but let's just say you turned the computer off at night when you went to sleep. For those eight hours that your machine wasn't online, then it could not be attacked from far away. It would not be doing the bidding of hackers. It would not be part of a botnet. It wouldn't engage in denial of service attacks. So if your computer's off for eight hours a day, you've just reduced your cyber risk by one third. And you can also apply the turn off principle to your mobile phone too. Obviously you don't want to turn off your phone because you need to be able to receive calls, but your phone has lots of different ports, services and connections that you needn't keep on because because you use them infrequently. Things like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular hotspots, near-field communications, those are all extra ports that run on at least smartphones, On if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, uh, Windows phone, something like that. If you keep your Wi-Fi on and you walk throughout your neighborhood, walk throughout the shopping malls or airports, you can actually be tracked by your Wi-Fi's MAC address, which is the unique identifier of your mobile phone's Wi-Fi network. So what I would say is keep those ports off, turn them off, and you'll reduce your risk. Great advice. And we've uh, reached the end of the update protocol, the letter E. What does that stand yes. for, Mark? E stands for encryption. Many people may have heard the term encryption but don't understand what it is, so I'll take a moment to explain it. If you go ahead and, you know, maybe you can remember when you were a young boy or girl who used to play little spy games and they would have these secret spy kits that you could buy, you know, in the five and dime store. If I wrote on a piece of paper, I love you, anybody who finds that piece of paper and can read English can understand what that looks like. But I could actually create a secret code where you could change the letter letters. And if you had a table of different letters, you would know what they stand for. So the most simple form of encryption is plus one. So rather than writing the letter I for I love you, I would add plus one, which would bring me to the next letter in the alphabet. So rather than saying I love you, you would see J. The letter J would represent the letter I. That's a very simple form of encryption. With computers, we can do much, much more sophisticated levels of encryption. So rather than just adding plus one or minus one, we can multiply by 10,000 or 100,000 and use really big math to scramble any underlying message so that it can't be read without a secret key. So how is that used in a practical sense on your computer? Well, right now, if you don't have a password on your computer and somebody finds it, then they can go ahead and read all of your files and everything that is on it. But you can use encryption to encrypt 
those files. In other words, use big math special programs to make them difficult to read. The good news is it's pretty easy to do, and both Mac and Windows computers come with this built-in. So on the Windows machines, it's called BitLocker, and on a Macintosh, it's called File Vault. And you can go out there and use those programs that are already built into your computer and encrypt your devices. This way, if they're lost or stolen, or even if a hacker tries to get in, they shouldn't be able to do to be able to read your data because it's encrypted. Uh, and the same is true on your smartphones. So if you set a password, for example, on an iPhone, even that four-digit password is a good start. Uh, you can actually make longer passwords, and Apple's just increased that minimum length of a password to six digits. But once you do that, your phone is encrypted as well. So unless somebody knows the right passcode, they can't get in. So encryption is a, a little bit of a pain, but it's definitely worth it. And on your phone, it's super easy to enable just by setting that one password. Mark, are there any ways to encrypt data using Wi-Fi or while you're using the internet? Yes, you can. There's something called a virtual private network. So if you're on your home network, you should definitely set a password for your home Wi-Fi. You should never keep your Wi-Fi point open because it allows hackers to hack into your network and use it for their own purposes, and that brings a lot of bad news with it. The other thing you can do is when you're out and about traveling, you can get a particular software program called a virtual private network, uh, and I recommend I list some companies that you can use in future crimes. And what that does is it takes all the data as it is transiting from your computer to the Internet and encrypts it. If you don't use a virtual private network and you're surfing on free Wi-Fi, whether it be at a hotel, an airport, or a public library, any information that leaves your computer can be viewed by other people. So it's a good way to protect yourself. And by the way, if you don't have a VPN, you definitely should not be doing banking on a public Wi-Fi hotspot. And you should be very cautious about using other people's machines as well. For example, I would not be doing my banking from the local library computer or the one in the airport lounge. Great advice. Really good information. Now, what's coming in the world of emerging threats that we need to alert seniors to? I mean, for example, in the media lately, there's been a lot of discussion about how credit cards and debit cards in this country are catching up to the rest of the world and starting to use chip and pin technology or chip and signature technology. Are those going to be hacked by, by the scammers? And what else is coming that we need to alert our listeners to? There are definitely are big changes coming towards credit cards. The old charge card, the MasterCard charge card that was brought around, you know, 40, 50 years ago is going through an evolution. Those magnetic stripes on the back of the card are imminently hackable. And so now you'll notice the new credit cards come with a little computer chip built into the plastic. Those have been around in Europe for well over 10 years. In Europe, though, they do it differently. And I'm afraid that the way we're doing it in America is not the right way, I'm sad to say. In Europe, those chips are combined with a unique pin, like one you would use at, the, uh, at an ATM. So you take your credit card, let's say you go to the supermarket in London or Paris or Berlin or Hong Kong, you take your credit card, you slide it into a little point-of-sale terminal at the supermarket, and then there's a touchpad there. And the way you authorize your transaction is by punching in your six-digit code. That is super secure because what it means is if somebody steals your credit card, you know, without that six-digit PIN, you don't have to worry about them hacking it. Unfortunately, we are only doing a half implementation of chip and PIN in the United States. We're bringing the chip, but we're not using the PIN. And the banks are claiming that it's too expensive and, you know, merchants don't want to pay for it, but it will be the people that suffer as their accounts get hacked. So there was a lot of political wrangling and, you know, hand-waving to prevent true chip and PIN from coming to the United States. Eventually it will get here, but until Until it does, frankly, the chips are not a huge improvement compared to the chip and pin system itself. So what else is coming in terms of, I mean, when you told the story earlier in our episode today about the software that will make it look like the amount of money that the scammers have stolen from you is still in your account, that was really uh, an eye-opening story. What else is coming that, that elders and the people who care about them need to know about? 
Well, I think the stuff that we discussed today are, are the more immediate threats that people need to be attention pay attention to. But right. in future crimes, you know, there are 16 chapters of what's coming next. <laughs> sure. so there's a lot of information. We're going to see new computers coming into our lives, right? Uh, many elderly people are starting to experience this already. There are senior citizens that have pacemakers, diabetic pumps, cochlear implants. All of those are computers, right? You know, those electric wheelchairs, those are run by computers. All the equipment that's run in hospital run by computers. And sadly, those too can be hacked. And in the future, I don't want to frighten anybody, but those things will start to pop up. So we're going to need to think hard about that stuff. And particularly the doctors and the device manufacturers are going to have to put a lot more thoughts into those types of technologies as well. The good news is, you know, to leave things on a positive note, there's a ton that you can do. There's no such thing as perfect security. Right. Every time you leave your house or walk on the street, you know, you could be run over by a bus, as anybody understands. But you can take lots of steps to use this technology, to benefit from it, to stay in touch with your family, to research health information, to learn interesting things on YouTube. There's a million great reasons to use the Internet and to use these technologies. You just need to learn a couple of few safety tips, and they will go a really long way. Yeah, that's one of the most valuable things in your book, I think, Mark, is that you lay out a world of a lot of bizarre and unfamiliar dangers, but you remain optimistic. Could you maybe go out on why you remain optimistic about the promise of technology, even in the face of all of this crime and stuff we're talking about? Let's put technology in context. There are lots of technologies, and if you have some older listeners, they've seen lots of technologies come in their lives. You know, I'm sure most of them today had electricity, but when I was living in New York City, actually in my building was an old six-story walk-up, and they still had the gas pipes coming into the lights in the buildings, in the hallway. Before there was electricity, they used to light them by gas. So some people have grew up without electricity, and many people grew up without telephones, and then they didn't have televisions, right, and automobiles. I mean, all of these were new technologies of the day. Airplanes were a new technology. Color TVs and Walkmans, right? We've seen, you know, blenders, the Vegematic 3000. All of these were new technologies, and they can bring tremendous convenience. Let's go back to the original technology, which was fire. Fire could keep you warm at night in your cave. You could use it to cook food, but it could also be used to burn down the village next to yours. It all comes down to how we use these technological tools. And at the moment, the bad guys are out innovating the good guys. But let's focus on all the great and tremendous conveniences that technology bring to our world. For example, technology will bring two billion people out of poverty around the world that will get access to clean water and more food and energy, things that they never would have had in the past. Technology is going to radically extend human life. It's going to reduce infant mortality and hundreds of millions of people that could never have afforded an education in the past can have a 20 or $30 you know, computer tablet and take free classes online at MIT, Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, the finest university in the world, right? Information has become democratized. I remember when you had to save up to purchase an encyclopedia. Now all of that on Wikipedia is completely free and mostly pretty awesome. So technology can and will be great, and I think that we should enjoy its benefits. But in order to enjoy those true benefits, we're just going to have to pay a little bit of attention to the downside, and that's the message of Future Crimes. Well, that's a fantastic message, Mark. And once again, we're so grateful that uh, you could be with us today and share your thoughts. Mark's book, uh, Future Crimes, Everything's Connected, Everyone's Vulnerable. Here's what you can do about it is available at your local bookstore or online. And once again, Mark, uh, how can people find out about you uh, online or otherwise? Well, they can go to futurecrimes.com to learn more about the book. And if they want to learn about more about if they want to learn more about me and my work, they can just go to markgoodman.net, M-A-R-C, goodman.net. And we will post links to all of those websites and ways that you can interact with Mark and uh, buy Mark's book uh, on the show notes at scammercast.com. We also want to mention, Mark, that you're involved with Singularity University. Would you take just a moment and say a little bit about that? 
Singularity University is a school which is uh, located out in Silicon Valley. It was co-founded by Peter Diamantis and Ray Kurzweil, uh, two noted futurists and technologists, and it has partnerships with Google and Nokia, Autodesk, and many large companies. And what they do is teach students about next-generation technologies, robotics, artificial intelligence, nanotech, synthetic biology, genetics, really cool and interesting things. But the school has a very special mission, which is to help our students use these technological tools to positively impact the lives of a billion people over the next 10 years. And that's a very bold and audacious goal, but we're starting to make progress towards it. And if anybody would like to know more about Singularity University, they can just go to singularityu.org and see lots of information there. Thank you, Mark. We really appreciate your time today. You've shared great information with us and our listeners. It's been my pleasure. Keep up your good work, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ScammerCast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at ScammerCast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send us your feedback, visit our Facebook presence, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, hammer the scammers. The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct advice for your particular situation.